is somewhat unique and calls for a different kind of introduction. Today we are canceling the apocalypse! Wait a minute, wait a minute. You ain't heard nothing yet. And uh, this is? Lilu Dallas Multipass. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. Houston, we have a problem. Have you tried turning it off and on again? Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Now, where was I? Welcome to episode 133 of the Blokebusters podcast. I'm Paul, and today we're going to be talking about The Matrix Resurrections. And for this time out, I figured, why the hell not grab someone who'd never been on the podcast before? Because, you know, I just do that sometimes. Time. And I decided to grab uh, a guy by the name of Jesse from the Southern But Inevitable podcast. How are you doing, my good sir? I am doing wonderfully, Paul. Thank you so much for having me. I gotta say right away, I have listened to Blokebusters before, so I am not just a podcaster, I'm also a podcast listener. (laughs) Yes, not so long time listener, first time caller, but uh, (laughs) uh, yes, happy to have you on. And uh, and of course, uh, if anyone does wish to get a hold of uh, me in particular about anything that we do talk about in this or anything else you can go to twitter instagram or facebook at blokebusters you can go to blokebusters.com look at the website there lovely uh you can go to allportsopen.com and check out our network page is very nice there a lovely group of guys and gals uh you can email us the blokes at blokebusters.com or you can just yell really loudly at whatever you're listening to the podcast on and potentially we'll hear you. I don't know. <laughs> Give it a go. You never know. Uh, but, uh, but yes, uh, usually at this point we would dive straight into the film. However, uh, I realize that I have never really gone into any details about my initial watching of the Matrix trilogy or anything like that. So I figured so that we can actually give a proper review of this film, we should probably talk about what are, uh, not everything, because that will take us way too long, uh, but just a general overview of our thoughts on the original trilogy. So where where did you stand uh, on the initial trilogy before you watched this film? Well, I think that I am in that camp that is slightly more forgiving of the two sequels than most. Uh, it, this movie, the original movie, came out when I was 11, and I think I saw it when I was 12. I know it wasn't right away. I saw it on DVD, not in the theater, um, right. but my dad was a big um, you know, video and audio nerd, so he was like, this is digital video disc. This is what that means. It's the coolest movie we could have on it. You have to let me show this to our son and he did and I loved it <clears throat> and I so when the sequels were announced I was I was over the moon I was like okay yes give me more of the matrix I want more of that it was the first time that I had ever seen those kind of visuals in live action I had seen anime you know as a as a young child um, but I didn't really draw the connection between the two things as a kid And I I just thought, you know, okay, I'm seeing the coolest thing I've ever seen in my life (laughs) visually. And, you know, on top of that, it's got this cerebral layer that I can I can talk with my friends about. And so when the when the sequels are coming out, I think I was just the right age to eat them up, sort of regardless of their content. And 
that's not me saying I think that their content is not good. Um, that's me saying that even if they were bad movies, I don't know that I would have not enjoyed them, but I did have a good time with them. Um, there's probably some things that they failed at as far as like, you know, what objectively quote unquote makes a great movie. But for me, I had a ton of fun watching those two movies in the theater. And I believe it was like the same year that they came out. It was like the first one came out in May and the second one was in November or something like that. And they were back to back. I don't remember the exact dates. So. But it was like, that was one of the first instances of that where you had two installments really quickly in the same franchise of, of, of that caliber. And I remember just loving it. And I think for me, I think a big part of it was, like I said, not only those visuals, seeing those kind of visuals for the first time, but also being presented with that idea of the simulated reality. And, you know, maybe reality isn't what we think. I think that might have been my first uh, movie that asked that question. Because, again, I think I was I think it was 12 when I saw it. Right. Yeah, I I do recall seeing it in the cinema. I believe I did. I know for a fact I saw the second and the third one in the cinema. But uh, the first one I can't be absolutely sure on. And I, I actually did a presentation when I was at university, which featured The Matrix, because The Matrix is the film that actually drove the popularity of DVDs. Uh, it, it is because oh, wow. of The Matrix and how popular it was and how much more you could get on the DVD and all of the special features that came with it. That was what pushed DVD to become the major format. Uh, so it's... Uh, I believe it was Laserdisc was the other one uh, at the time. <laughs> and DVD won out because The Matrix exclusively was on DVD. So, yeah, I, and I remember having the 10 DVD set uh, Ultimate Collector's Edition, which no longer, A, I don't have, uh, and B, <laughs> is no longer the Ultimate Collector's Edition because there is now a fourth film. Uh, but yes, uh, I I thoroughly enjoyed watching the second and third film. I was not really understanding where the hate was coming from. Yeah. Uh, like I I saw them as a continuation but also a departure from the original cuz the original is like you know understandably you could have it be a standalone film and just be by itself and everything would be fine but they wanted to continue in the story and they wanted to tell more and they didn't want to just repeat what happened in the first one because you know that's boring <laughs> um, so yeah and the mcu didn't exist yet so there wasn't a way to do that and actually be overly good <laughs> you know unless you're james cameron so basically yeah i i I really enjoyed the second and third one. I didn't think they were as good as the first one. I will freely admit that, uh, but I didn't think they were as terrible as everyone said. My favorite thing as well, if you're like, I know a lot of people have issues with the CG and how it aged, and especially during the like the burly brawl in the second one, where it. It is kind of rubbery, you know, as you watch yeah. it. It's not very well defined, which, given the technology at the time, like, you know, it definitely did the best it could. Uh, my favorite sort of 
hand-waving explanation for that is that what we're seeing is the Matrix attempting to render it, but it can't because there's too much. And well, it's... and that's, that's not that hand-wavy. I mean, that, that happens in the first movie, right? When the helicopter hits the uh, building, you see yeah. that that wave go out in the glass before the glass shatters in the same pattern. And I think that's accurate, Paul. I think that's the Matrix attempting to render something that breaks its rules. Yeah, and and obviously Smith is a virus at this point. Uh, yeah, he is the thing that he explicitly stated that humans were. Um, yeah. So, like, he's doing something that is completely breaking the code of the Matrix, so it's understandable that it's unable to render it. Now, obviously, um, that is something that you can also just be like, yeah, but the CT, at the time, the CT was not capable of doing photorealistic of that scale <laughs> like um, right. with that like they would have had to have rented that fight for a solid two years with the technology <laughs> they had at the time to make it even close to what you can get now um so yeah i'm always willing to give that a pass because i i appreciated what they were trying to do um Agreed. and and either side of it you know they had actual people there as doubles for smith and they did it very well and then it's just the actual fight uh, that got very rubbery so yeah I'm, I'm i'm fine with that um but yeah i i will admit that when i heard they were doing this one uh, this one being the matrix resurrections i was a little apprehensive uh, i i heard that it was happening i heard that Lana was doing it, but Lily wasn't, and so I was like, "Okay, is there like is there a reason for that? Like, what did Lily just put her foot down and say? Absolutely not! I'm not touching this with a barge pole. Like, what what happened? Uh, it wasn't until recently that I kind of looked into it, and it se- seems that Lily basically was just like, you know what, I'm I'm fine not coming back to this." And she was also busy doing something else uh, at the time, so she actually couldn't direct it. Um, and Lana apparently just kind of had the idea for this after losing her parents and a friend in 2019. So like this kind of came to her, and I can see this as being a... like. I'm bringing back the characters that I know <laughs> um, and, and yeah, delving back think- into that, so... I don't mean to interrupt, but I think that no, I think that that definitely goes to so much about the movie itself. You know, the the, the one director with a vision for this story, um, the reasoning that is presented on screen in the story is is just. I, I I fully agree, though. Like when I first heard about this, I went, "Okay, I'm nervous, and I can't figure out why." So I thought about it some, <laughs> and I think it goes back to what we did love or what i know i loved about the original series which was that was the first time as i said that i saw that kind of visuals in live action and that was the first time i was presented with those kinds of ideas in a stylishly cool way right and (laughs) so my immediate question is what is the new idea they're going to present me with and what is the cool new looking thing that they're going to show me now Almost immediately in this movie, 
the movie goes, we know that's what you want. And <laughs> I, I mean, the tone of this movie is something that I, I don't know if I didn't expect it, but it, it caught me off guard. I will say that this movie caught me off guard. I will start from there. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's a good place to start. Uh, and uh, um, just so I can make sure I get the nuts and bolts out of the way as well, um, directed by Lana Wachowski. Uh, this had a budget of $190 million. And as of now, uh, so I'm going to date this podcast, this episode is being recorded the night of the 30th of December. It will be out. You know, at least a month after that, but uh, yeah, that is when we have recorded this, and it has currently made seventy million dollars worldwide. So, in the box office, probably not going to make that back. Um, and of course, most people will take the budget and then double it if you also add in marketing and so on. So, so I I do think that. It's going to be some time before they break even, if they do. Um, they may not. Uh, and it, it's interesting as well. I don't know how you saw the film. I saw it on HBO Max. And it turns out that it's only on HBO Max for 30 days. And then it's going to be gone. Well, so, okay. So, I first of all same boat i watched this on hbo max i have what i consider to be a high-risk household so i i'm just not at a theater mindset right now um but i i did watch a couple of movies this year on hbo max where i was like i would love to see this in the theater uh but i was (laughs) deeply grateful for the opportunity to not have to see them in the theater now that having been said most of those movies that are like extreme streaming for 30 days and then gone have since come back. It just took a couple of months. So like Godzilla okay. versus Kong is on there now and Dune was back and you know or I'm not sure about Dune yet, but I know Mortal Kombat is back. Like I know a lot of the movies that were on and then gone are back. So um maybe that's a positive thing to look forward to and like you were saying, they may need to squeeze whatever they can out of this movie. Um <laughs> I would not be surprised if we get a physical release of this movie like next month or the month after like i'm talking what january or february so contemporaneous to when this episode is being released but i just you know i i i am interested to see without spoiling anything about you know my feelings or the the movie itself i'm really interested to see if warner brothers wants a matrix five after this (laughs) i will say that based on what i have read so far it seems as though Warner Brothers has effectively said, okay, we're done uh, when it comes to film entries in the franchise. So now, if I could ask you a question directly, Paul. Sure. Do you think that's what Lana wanted? <laughs> I, and, and I don't mean to ask this in a way that implies that I'm like, because this movie was bad, because I don't believe that it was. I just, I think this movie may have only been for Lana. Like... Which I'm fine with. I'm totally (laughs) fine with that. Um, But do you think that she went into this thinking, I'm going to end this now on my own terms? Yeah, I I do think that, uh, because as I said, um, based on what I was looking at, uh, Lana really wanted to get back into 
this world to be with Neo and Trinity again uh, as a direct result of dealing with the grief of losing her parents and her friend. And this feels like it. it is a cathartic film, if yeah. that's what you're looking for. And it definitely is... It's very odd to talk about because there's a bit of a duality where it's like it's a return, but it's not. Um, and yeah. Uh, and yeah, I I feel that this entire film was we've come back, but that's it. Like I I yeah I I can see how they would technically be able to make more because obviously they made more after the original Matrix and they were able to follow through with it. However. If you were to make more after this one, and we'll get into the spoilery talk in just a minute <laughs> so that we don't have to keep <laughs> dodging around it. But yeah, if you get into a sequel after this one, it will literally be the thing that this film takes the piss out of in right. the opening 30 minutes. Um, but it's, so. <laughs> I think it's maybe fitting that you, as you mentioned, there is a duality about it being a return and not because the whole movie really feels to be about duality and you know combined with a non-binary nature like you have to um accept two halves of a thing in order to you know live fully as the one piece of it is what i is what i feel like i was pulling from the movie part of the message that i was pulling from it so i think your your perception of that duality right up front is spot on yeah (laughs) yeah i find i found it really interesting because they and, and uh, at this point, just in case it's not obvious, in case you haven't listened to any of the other episodes, Blockbusters, <laughs> from here on in, spoilers. <laughs> we will talk about the entire film. Not even in order, we're just going to talk about the film. So, uh, so yeah, this film is a film of two halves, absolutely. Now, the first half isn't even the first half, it's the first act, but... Uh, but yeah, the first part is okay. We're back in the Matrix, <laughs> like yeah, we know, and we're gonna make sure you understand that we know. And I think it was probably my favorite bit in it is the fact that they do not shy away from just flat out calling out Warner Brothers. Um, yeah, in, in just a, a, a totally ballsy. A bit of dialogue. They have Smith, who is Neo's boss in this resurface matrix, just say the line, yeah, our yeah, basically our business boss, Warner Brothers, has said they will make a sequel to the Matrix with or without you. And it's like, Okay. All right. Um, I wonder if that was a conversation that happened in real time. Uh, it has Wachowski. to have been. I yeah. mean, it, that has to be, because to me, that's the only reason to set the whole thing up in such a, pardon my use of the term, but in such a meta way, right? Like, <laughs> why else put that, that scene in there, and why else have him working essentially the same job, but in a in a different industry as the original films, right? Because there's, and you know, they do get into it, because they, they do have to explain to us, the viewer, like, okay, how did they get him back in? Because the thing about him is that he doesn't need to be there. <laughs> like, um, yeah. But but I, I feel like that context has to be 
it has to be the basis for like most of the movie, right? Like for for the the impetus for the movie being made because it feels so, like Warner Brothers wouldn't allow that through unless it were true, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, it's like, I I mean, unless Warner Brothers has a like a self-aware bone and it was just like they yeah yeah sure like what the hell why not put put it in there like yeah either they are the most game company that i've heard of like in that regard or it genuinely happened and they just didn't want to fight that fight because they wanted the film to be made by one of the original directors so like yeah either way uh it's quite interesting and and what one thing i did find kind of fun is they they really did dive straight into it because i believe that the company that he's at uh like metacortex that is the same company from the original film he's just now a like he's a video game designer for the company rather than just being a programmer at a software company um so it it is kind of fun to see, like, I, I'll i be perfectly honest, like, regardless of everything, the second I saw Keanu on screen as Neo again, well, as Thomas Anderson again, um, like, it was just, it was really just like a wave of nostalgia there. Yeah. Like, yeah, it, it's clearly, yeah, obviously he looks older because he's older. <laughs> yeah, and and I can absolutely buy that he was only supposed to be let's say 20 years older in this yeah. one because um, i think yeah, that that's actually a really cool little point is that they went you know in the in the real world it's actually been closer to 60 years uh but he, you know for us in the real real world it's only been 20 years um <clears throat> but if you ask people it might feel like it's been 60 years you know since the matrix <laughs> came out the last couple of years have felt like five or six years you know just in themselves i think so it's it's a nice extra meta level of you know commentary on time there and how time can feel different depending on your perspective yeah absolutely um and uh that actually is one thing i, I kind of wanted to, to talk with you about so uh and obviously just towards the end of the film as uh, we find out that they have been genuinely resurrected they were revived from death and uh rebooted and i guess recreated to some extent like yeah augmented like we see something happening but we don't know what it's yeah they were tinkered with yeah it it felt very uh dead space-esque actually um don't know if you Oh, have played or have seen people playing oh, yeah. those games, but like that, that kind of visuals felt very much like that. And so it's like, okay, yeah, they have only really aged twenty years when it's been sixty years. But it's like, how, how did you feel about the entire thing of the fact that they were literally resurrected from death? Like th- this is something that I have seen being the biggest sticking point with people watching it is that yeah. Uh, the Matrix, regardless of everything that happens inside the Matrix, everything outside of the Matrix is like very gritty, very like you know following what we would understand is happening during this time. Like yeah, uh, let, well, let's. Yeah. 
I, I would okay. say that the the groundwork is laid for that in the original sequels, right? So in Reloaded, Neo finds out this is not the first version of this. This is not mm-hmm. the first time we have done the whole Matrix thing. Uh, you guys are super susceptible to it. So as soon as we're done here, we'll start it over. Everything will be hunky-dory. Well, machine hunky-dory. So right. that groundwork was laid, you know, and then... <clears throat> The architect actually says to him, "We'll reinsert your source code, and then there'll be another the one, and you know it'll be it will go on in cycles forever." So, there when those sequels came out, I I remember there was a lot of oh, there's a Matrix within a Matrix theories and things like that, especially because the Matrix Reloaded ends with Neo able to feel the machines in the real world. So I would also posit that there has been some sci-fi sort of future magic janky stuff happening in the quote-unquote real world of the matrix as well already so i I don't think that they really broke any of their rules and i mean neo was splayed out in a you know cross shape and then Mm -hmm. you know dragged in a cross shape across the machine city so i were we not expecting a resurrection for a character whose end was was that? I, I I feel like the sequels definitely set us up for more sequels, but they they sort of went, you know what? It's going to be a while, which it was to their credit. But I feel like everything that's in this movie, Resurrections, was set up in the prior two, well, the prior three movies, but mostly set up in the prior two sequels. Yeah. Now yeah. I do agree that it was a little dead spacey when they were <laughs> when they were being reconstructed um but to me that's that was the part of the original matrix that probably inspired dead space right was all of the body horror stuff the bug in his stomach and you know getting out of the pods which they knew they needed to one up right because they're like well they've we've seen people in pods before so what do we do now well, what if we yeah. just put bodies in there and cut the top of their heads off and mess with their brains like well, okay that's pretty extreme yeah, that that's it. It's uh, yeah. They they sat down and watched Event Horizon. And they were like, okay, we're not going this <laughs> far, but we're, we're gonna get close. <laughs> yeah, just pull that lever back one notch from Event Horizon, and then we'll change the lighting to Blade Runner, and it'll be fine. <laughs> yes, uh, and and go with the uh, the quick edits from Mass Effect when you get the uh, the protein beacon uh, <laughs> flashes and uh, there we go perfect um yeah it's, it it was interesting cuz i again like i was kind of expecting there to be a quite quite literal deus ex machina moment where it's like okay here's how he's back like yeah you know, there was a backup of neo's brain uh when when he went in that was saved somewhere and then it was like that was then put onto a different body and then i was kind of expecting because obviously in the matrix when you go into it you see yourself however you see yourself that's who you are in the matrix so i was expecting them to resurrect something that was going to happen in the original matrix but didn't where neo was going to be visible in the matrix but it's going to be someone else's body like when it's in uh, real life and they didn't do that um which i which i thought was odd because that that felt to me like 
the logical step, uh, but obviously well, they wanted to literally redirect him. I don't know. There's also something, I don't know if I would call this a nitpick, but there's something about, like, you started building a an AI-powered, like, mini-matrix module inside the matrix, and the machines that were in charge of you weren't like, okay, that needs to stop. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's a little... But I... I, I got to agree with that. I was I was sort of like, okay, there's going to either be a... I, I did, I'll say like eight minutes into the movie, I was like, oh, I know who the one is now. Um, I thought it was going to be one of the new characters through all the marketing. I was like, oh, they're really setting me up to like think it's all about Neo and Trinity again, but it's actually going to be one of these new characters and they're going to be the one. And then like eight minutes into the movie, I went, oh, nope, Trinity. Trinity will be the one at the end of this movie, <laughs> which I'm I'm okay with. Usually when I can do that, I get upset, but... I don't know. There was something about it where it was like, th- that makes good sense to me. I, like, I'm okay right. with that. I think. Yeah, it, I mean, there, there were uh, there were several moments in the original where it felt like they were kind of saying that Trinity and Neo were two halves mm-hmm. of this of one whole, and obviously Neo just has the uh, the one powers in this matrix. So, to me, when we were getting to the end, and it was like, okay, so he has some power, but he is like he is a totally nerfed version of himself, um which actually <laughs> I think my favorite single moment in the entire film is when he's like, "All right, I'll try and fly, and then he can't, and he just says, "Yeah, that's not happening <laughs> yeah, just but just he remembers that. how. Yeah, he remembers how he should do it, and then he does it, and you see the little ripple in the ground, and then all he does is he just jumps up in the air and just goes, nope. (laughs) Like, you even got the music sting from when he did it in the original, was coming in, and and then just total cut off. (laughs) So, yeah, and I I love that they were just like, this isn't the Matrix, this is... The next Matrix. So, yeah. Like, of course, he doesn't have full access to everything he used to be able to do. Well, and, and then, if the whole point was to build a module to contain the one, why would they just? Why would they not nerf him? Right? Like that's that's the yeah. point of the Matrix is that there are rules that can or can be bent and things like that. So if they know his his abilities, then in theory they should be able to build the Matrix to constrain those or appear to constrain those abilities, which I did appreciate. I gotta ask, how did you like Neil Patrick Harris's character? I I was 50-50 on that character. Um, hmm. Number one, I really like Neil Patrick Harris. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, to steal from uh, the CinemaSins last Cinema Wins thing, uh, Neil Patrick Harris is always a win. Uh, but, um, and uh, I... I also appreciated that he was the new Matrix's guy. Like, yeah, you know, in the original, we had the architect who was very stuffy and very long-winded, very long-winded, and uh, was just very, very sure of himself. And this was, by his own admission, like just a program an analyst who was there and decided... He wanted to do it. So, you know, he's, he's obviously fairly sure of himself, but there is that level of 
like uh, to everything he does because he's like yeah 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 i'm the greatest just uh just don't look over there um <laughs> don't, yeah. don't get too close uh to this thing so yeah it is very interesting but the the one issue i had with his character that kind of kept me just a little bit further back not quite fully embracing it is the the fact that he pretty much went straight into exposition mode um like and it seemed to be entirely for the story like he he took absolutely no hesitation whatsoever in explaining everything to neo as soon as he walked into the garage but and it was like that like i from the the, from the stance of the general public going to see this film like okay thanks i guess however i can't imagine anyone went to see this film who hadn't seen the previous film so there's they should be aware that there doesn't need to be a huge amount of hand-holding in these films because there wasn't previously. There was a lot of talking about a lot of different things, but very, very rarely was there just... Here is, for the next five minutes, here is literally every single piece of backstory you need to this Matrix. But um, they did do that at the end of The Matrix Reloaded. So the machines, and, and it is sort of like the, the, it was the answer to the end of the war originally for the machines was to put all their cards on the table with Neo and go, all right, what do you got? Here's what we got. Because we can't answer the Smith problem. So right. we need and, we need human input here. What do you, what do you think we should do? So it, you could argue that it's already been demonstrated to the machines that they can maybe maybe humans are the only enemies they can negotiate with, you know, like reliably or say, Hey, if we show them, you know, quote unquote, some goodwill here, then they'll be willing to negotiate. But I agree that there, especially for a movie of this length, there were a quite a few number of scenes that were like, here's how things work. Now we might've needed that if we had never seen this before. Like you said, if we hadn't been to the world of the matrix and it sort of indicates to me, based on the numbers, that only people that really liked The Matrix saw this movie at all. So I think you're probably yeah. right there, Paul. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's something that I feel, if it had done something, because like, you know, that scene in the garage where he is literally laying absolutely everything out, he, he's talking about how, you know, hey, I used your bullet time against you, which... Again, was another bit of a, a meta name nod because obviously yep. n- nobody in the entire trilogy refers to what Neo can do as bullet time. Right. Um, that is that was the name of the process that was used to film those moments. Um, so yeah, you know, again, just another little like ah uh, ah uh, see see <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, like that entire scene where he is just being like. Okay, so here's how agents work in this one. Here's exactly what I'm doing to keep you in place. Like, you now can't move as fast as I can. I was anticipating that by the end of the film, you would have seen Neo actually being able to speed up. Like, you'd see him just getting a little quicker and a little quicker as uh, as it was going on. And well, then at the end, he's just sort of broke through that. Now, obviously, 
at the end they had Smith do right. that. Um, and and they they even have a, a line of dialogue where he says, that, you know, uh, Tom and I are very similar. And there's, uh, so I, I think that they were trying to say that, you know, Neo probably could have done it and would have been able to do it in the original Matrix, but this is a new one. Although that that is my biggest question from this film is where the hell does Smith come from? <laughs> yeah. So as a like, I, I, my question was going to be, you know, why? Wow, that is a good question. Where does Smith come from? But as a my question was going to be, as a Star Trek fan, I was like, okay, so the solution here will clearly be that Neo goes, hey, I actually built my own Matrix, which would have been the foreshadowed by the little module that he built at the beginning, right? Yeah. And I trapped you, the analyst, inside it without you knowing by swapping my mind with your mind in the real Machine City. You know, like I was like, okay, here we go. This is how it's going to go down. Um, that didn't happen. You're right. So Smith. Like, our new Smith, I was under the impression that that appearance came from Neo's module. But you're right, because that's his boss. So, like, why would the machines actually, like, reinsert that code? Or are we just to assume that part of the the one source code that is contained within Neo contains that uh, the the source code anomaly for... Sorry, the anomalous source code for Agent Smith, but the first two the first two sequels specifically dealt with that that substrate question, right? Can a machine intelligence that only exists in the Matrix, like a, an agent, right, which has no real body in the real Machine City, what if that took over the body of a person that was jacked into the Matrix, and that happens? Smith takes over that guy's body, and then he you know goes into the real world and fights Neo in the real world. And, man, I got to go watch the Matrix movies again after we're done <laughs> talking about this. Because that scene is great when it's like yeah. Neo's all blindfolded and there's the gun. Yeah. I So, but that, that does raise that question of where did he come from? Is it because there was leftover code in Neo? Or was it because that machine existed somewhere in the machine city? I, I don't have an answer to that question, Paul. Do you have an answer to that? <laughs> no, because I... Like if if we if we pass through what we uh, what we saw in the original trilogy, Smith had entirely taken over everything that was in the Matrix at the end, and then he was purged by the Matrix uh, because they were directly linked into Neo. And wibbly wobbly timey wimey, I actually don't know <laughs> <laughs> because they don't actually explain that well, bit. He- Neo allowed himself to be copied over, thus canceling out the source code. Something like if Smith is the opposite of Neo and then they merge, then negative one plus one equals zero, correct? Something along those lines. And then the original Matrix used that, like maybe because they were directly connected to Neo, who then had the code, they were able to use that to insert the antivirus and then so on and so forth. Um, so what is supposed to have happened at that point is that Smith has been purged from the original Matrix and then they're going to, you know, rebuild, remake, etc., etc. Um, now, what appears to happen in this film is Smith in the, in the film originally as the boss isn't Agent Smith. 
It's when he picks up the gun that he turns into Agent Smith. So was there a single piece of that code like left over having somehow survived because Wow. As you know, as Smith says in the original trilogy, like yeah, he wants to get out. He wants to just kind of. Paul, he wants to be. So this is maybe he this is totally is. on me. I don't know <laughs> how I, as the host of Sudden but Inevitable, have missed this. But the answer is because Smith is inevitable. <laughs> Anywhere Neo is, Smith will inevitably arise. That's the <laughs> point he was trying to make to neo like he's the opposite of neo so if neo is there smith will exist so i think our answer is either smith arises as like a as an emergent property of any matrix system out of necessity or he is is part of neo in such an intrinsic way that his mere insertion into one of those systems will eventually lead to the creation of a smith yeah and and it it could also be like neo is finally beginning to accept that he is neo like he doesn't take the pill and he doesn't fully grasp it but he's he's beginning to think that way again and that is when smith arises and if the whole movie is about needing to accept both halves of a thing to be able to live as the non-binary one i mean that fits pretty well right yeah (laughs) the pieces of neo have always been thomas anderson trinity and agent smith so that's i mean i think that's almost poetic man i think you figured it out better than i did when i watched through it (laughs) yeah yeah i'll take that as a win yeah i i found it like it was that thing that was nearing at me like it wasn't something that broke the film at all for me like it was was just something that i hadn't sat down and and really worked through but uh no i i do like that as an answer um now as I said, as I kind of said before as well, and I was interested because I was certain it would show up in this one, and it, it still didn't. Uh, so in the original Matrix, the character of Switch mm. was supposed to be one gender in the real world and the other gender in the Matrix, which was why their name was Switch. But they didn't do that because the studio said, nope, we're not doing that. So I they was... just gave Switch an androgynous actor instead. Yes, yes. I mean, they they may as well have cast uh, uh, Tilda Swinton. Like they, right? Yeah, they got Tilda Swinton's younger sister (laughs) to to play it. Uh, But uh, but yeah, I was I was certain that was going to finally happen in this one. Now it's absolutely possible that it did happen, and we just didn't know because it wasn't someone that was front and center in the film yeah. uh you know it, it, it could absolutely be the case and it might be something that if you go back and look at it and really look at every single person and go through you might find someone that does do that and they just didn't you know hang a lantern on it which if that is the case well done them uh because you know it, it, that, that's a really cool way of doing that um I would but, almost say they didn't they didn't need it this time because they had the opportunity in the first 10 minutes of the movie to say the matrix is about trans politics. So it was like <laughs> you could not have done that in 1999, but in this no. movie you can just say that in the beginning and then you don't have to have a character who's who's shown to have a different self-image. I mean all the characters in this movie have a different self-image than what is portrayed for part of the movie, right? So they again it goes back to that 
substrate thing and how that's kind of a core thing in the matrix is you know the the space you inhabit the meat space you inhabit yeah and um uh i the the most fascinating thing to me in this film was connected with how they dealt with the fact that so many people didn't come back so there is a lot of flashback slash straight up playing the original <laughs> trilogy yeah. um in this film at, at the front end and there are um like if we're if we're going this route there are technically one two three four five there are five people that were in the original trilogy that are in this film um now technically let me think how many is that one two three four four of them are playing the character that they were in the original trilogy and one of them is not uh so obviously you have keanu reeves as neo and reprising the role carrie ann moss as trinity and then the biggest surprise for me jada pinkett smith yeah um, like that i i i kind of appreciated that they they just picked uh niobe and it was like all right yep she's still here she's back she's running um, she's running IO now. So yeah, I, I enjoyed that she was in it and they actually had her in, I would argue fairly good makeup in this one. Like I, I felt that it was, uh, you know, it wasn't as bad as you've seen in a lot of films where someone's like, let's slap some makeup, you know, let's back to the future, um, oh. <laughs> their faces, uh, but no, I, I thought it was a, a reasonable, uh, you know, 60 year makeup job in that. And, uh, and I appreciated she was back. Uh, and then of course you had the Merovingian, uh, like as you know, that homeless dude. <laughs> the on old the man yelling at a cloud. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that, so that was, that was really just a fun surprise. Like, <laughs> I, I think it would have been, uh, I highly doubt they would have been able to get Monica Belushi back, but I think it would have been even f more fun to have him as this, you know, this completely shabby like hobo character, like uh, a fragment of his former self, and then have uh, Monica Belushi as she was in the original. Like, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, she like nothing's happened to her. She's still herself. Persephone looks the same. Off. She's in charge yeah. of the club now. Everything's fine. <laughs> yeah, and uh yeah, I, I think that would have been funny, but still. Um uh but yeah, so so technically there is one person who was in this film who was technically in the first film. That would be now Neo's stunt double? Yep. Right? I can't yeah, remember Neo's, the guy's name. It's uh, it's Chad uh, Stahelski. Uh, so yeah, he was the stunt double for Neo in the original Matrix. He is also the director of all the John Wick films. Mm. So yeah, they had him in as Chad, as a literal Chad, um, <laughs> as Trinity's <laughs> husband. So like yeah, he is once again quite literally the stand-in for Neo. Because uh, he is Trinity's or Tiffany's husband, um, so 
I, I found that really funny. There's like several layers going on there. Like having having him in as that role. <laughs> and uh and actually what one thing that I didn't catch until my second watch of this film is for absolutely no reason whatsoever, Christina Ricci is in this film. What really? Yep. Where? When? She is the female executive that is sort of leading the talks on the Matrix sequel. Oh, wow. Yeah. Her name is apparently Gwyn DeVere. Wow. Okay. Yeah. No, it's like, like, I didn't didn't catch it on my first go through. I was watching the second one. I was like, who is that? And so I looked it up. It's Christina Ricci. I think I'm saying that last name right. I might not be. I don't care at this point. Um, yeah, yeah, she no. gets paid the big bucks. I'm sure she's all right with it either way. <laughs> yeah, she's already made her money out of this film. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it's so random. The uh, the other the most random thing that apparently may or may not be in the film, and no one's been able to verify it, is that Tom Hardy actually filmed a background cameo for this film but it may or may not be in the film huh like that as, as far as i know there's been no verification on where in the film it would have been and what's going on so like, it's very very odd um uh and then the only other uh thing of like total like oh okay um of note is that the uh the mayor of uh i can't remember it it what i believe it's san francisco um oh like yes wherever, wherever it was yeah the mayor of san francisco uh is in the film for a because, second because because they needed the signature of that person i believe to do the stunt where they walk off the edge of that building they i think that indeed. was why they had to have that <laughs> that person was nearby and they went Hey, sign this, and if you do, we'll let you be in the movie. Yeah, like they, uh, they gave her a thank you uh, in the credits, and then they're also like, okay, you're going to be in the film. She is the one who is getting people to safety during the uh, uh, swarm mode at the end. So yeah, Good PR uh, opportunity for that mayor. Well done, mayor. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it worked for Arnold Schwarzenegger. So <laughs> <laughs> I will say I... Uh, and I, I know we've been jumping uh, around in this uh, and talking about the people that are in this. And I'm pro- again, I'm probably going to butcher this, but uh, Yahya Abdul Mateen II, <laughs> I, yeah. I believe, he was very good as Morpheus 2.0. Morpheus um, in air quotes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I've, I found it really interesting that he plays the. Morpheus the Neo programmed. Yeah. Um so like it it's Morpheus as Morpheus probably saw himself. Well and it's <laughs> but it's Morpheus mixed with Agent Smith because Yeah. It, and it's again, Neo needed all of the pieces around him to become the one, right? So he had to have a Morpheus and he had to have Smith. But he didn't really know how to communicate that to his module, so he just went, "Give me a Smithius, and it will be <laughs> fine." I, yeah, I was, I'll, I'll be honest, I was going in like, "Come on, man, you got both of these guys, but you didn't get Lawrence Fishburne. What's going on?" 
and then it became apparent to me that it was the it was that substrate thing. It was part of the point to be like, oh, because that's not even what he actually looks like. <laughs> like there there are so many layers of body image and self image and you know inhabiting different substrates in this movie that it sort of doesn't matter who we put in any of these roles. I bet you that the that Lana went it doesn't matter who's in any of the roles, but I would really like to work with Keanu and and Carrie Ann and you know these people again. And then other than that, we can we can hire whoever we want and that will make the movie cost less, I think. <laughs> yeah, probably. Um yeah, I do know that they did reach out to Hugo Weaving to play Smith again. And frustratingly, because obviously that would have been the perfect trinity um, to, to get back, he was tied up in filming other things, so he was unable to do it. It wasn't that he didn't want to, as far as we know. Uh, he was just like genuinely unable to, to make it. So that that is why there is Smith who isn't Smith in this. Uh, yeah, I, I I did appreciate that they had several cutting back and forth between the original and him uh, for uh, Jonathan Groff. It's uh, the name of the actor, and yeah, and supposedly he wanted to portray the presence of smith but he didn't want to do a copy of hugo weaving yeah so like i i thought i I thought he did well with that because again he's smith but he's not um and and if you're if you're put into that position it's it's and what are you to do right i i think he i think he went the best possible route because i i for me now (laughs) i think the movie definitely benefits from people who really enjoyed the first trilogy when they watch it because like a lot of goodwill built up in my body about the the original trilogy because I every time he spoke I was picturing Hugo Weaving's cadence and voice personally and yeah. and that made that character have more gravitas for me now I'm not saying that that's <laughs> a failure of this movie I'm saying it worked for me because I I was already used to going oh this is the same character in a new shell because they did that with the oracle in the first sequel and i went oh okay i what a clever way to explain a real life problem that they had with the passing of that actor so again i think everything in this movie has been set up in universe to function in universe and and i appreciate that about it and i really i think between the two new versions of characters we had seen with smith and morpheus i think i liked the morpheus portrayal better um but I think they also gave that character more to do, right? They they gave that character more of a their own arc and, you know, more of a two halves of one whole sort of a, a storyline. So uh, I think I like that one better, but that's probably by design. <laughs> yeah, it, it was it was very interesting to me to see who they did and didn't get back. One thing that I found odd uh, is that they didn't just get the grown-up Sati. Uh, to come back and play Sati again. Um, they just got, again, want to try and get it right. So it's uh, Priyanka Chopra Jonas, uh, who apparently was the winner of Miss World 2000. So there you go. <laughs> but, uh, uh, but yeah, they, they got her to play the grown up Sati. 
uh, which, again, I found interesting because they, they obviously played around a lot with how programs do develop and grow. And they quite literally had this little girl program from the original is now in adult form uh, in this one. So, you know what, that's actually, I think, um, uh, probably one of the last things we'll touch on for now, because I don't want to be keeping you and the audience for too long, uh, uh, is something that uh, I, I haven't heard too many people talking about, just in some of the things I've read and listened to so far. Uh, what what were your thoughts on how they had the society where humans and machines, uh, although they did not prefer to be called machines, um, they, uh, what was the term? Uh, uh, I'm blanking on it now. They were like sentience, I think, or something. Yeah, like, yeah, like sentience, yeah, like sentience, uh, sentience or something like that. Um, sentience, yeah, so, yeah. They had some uh, kind of name. <laughs> so I, yeah, I actually the, really the, liked in particular, the designs of the friendly machines. Uh, I liked that they were very organic, um, which again, stems from the design of the original trilogy. All the machinery in the original trilogy was very organic and insectoid and creepy yeah. crawly. There was not too many hard lines. It was all very live and you know organic looking. And I just, I really liked the peaceful looking designs on some of the friendly machines. I liked the um, nano, like the flowing nanobots look that Morpheus ended up with at, you know, when they were doing their assault on the Machine City. The um, friendly, like, oversized robots gave me definite, like, Dune 1984 vibes, I think, Um, (laughs) which I really appreciated. And there was, was, like, the, the warm insectoid versions of the machines that we had seen. I really liked that, and I liked the, you know, the concept of well, hey, but the war is over, and Niobe going, yeah, that doesn't mean that everything's fine. Like, <laughs> this still, it's still real life, dude, and and that kind of, I mean, it hits you, you know, and I mean, it's can, it's it's a good point to make right now in 2021. Um, you'll be listening in 2022, but trust me, 2021 <laughs> sucked. So it's it's yeah. a good it's a good point to make, you know, like just because there's maybe not a huge war happening doesn't mean everything is fine. There's still plenty of conflict and struggle going on and you still need to be paying attention. So uh, I I liked that mix and I liked that they gave us that society without, you know, having somebody in that society be the one to be like, "Oh, there's like a a sleeper agent in here that wants to kill all humans." I'm glad they didn't do that. Um one little nitpick I have, I don't know if I like changing the name from Zion to IO. I mean, I get it. It's a, it's a much more binary name. It's input, output. It's got the, you know, on, off symbol um, connotations. So I fully understand why they did it. I just, me personally, don't, I wouldn't have done that. <laughs> um, but I, I do like the, the presentation of their society because even in the original sequels, the humans and the machines were shown to be interdependent on each other, even if they weren't at war. Zion was built on machinery, right? The machine city was powered by humans. So that interconnected nature of all beings and, and, and all life, I think has been there from the start. So I was glad to see it persist through this movie. Yeah. And, and another thing I, I, I was going to, See if it came up in the film, and I, I'll I'll jump back to to my thoughts on it uh, real quick as well. Just from what you were saying, uh, obviously in the original Matrix, 
it was supposed to be that humans were being used as processing units because brains are infinitely more powerful than microchips at as of this moment in time um, in uh, being able to to process things so that was the original way it was going to work and then again the studios jumped in and said what about if they're batteries even though that makes no sense because humans are ridiculously awful at outputting energy um, but uh, uh but yeah I, I thought they would somehow bring that back in like the new matrix was being run by the people connected to it and stuff like that but uh, but they didn't do that um but no, yeah, I, I I found it really interesting that they had the like yeah the human synth synth what what it, again I, I'm a little frustrated that I can't remember the, the <laughs> term but uh, uh, yeah the good uh, machines um, and and uh, like and how they were they were that in the fact that you know they there were still the sentinels and they were still the bad guys working for the new matrix um but uh but there is a sort of uneasy piece like is it there there is some sort of piece there um now one thing that didn't hit me until you were kind of mentioning the the design of the machines um yeah assuming that uh, you have some familiarity with mass effect very very little do you think that the people that designed the reapers in Mass Effect, did yes. so because of the design of uh, the some of the machines in the Matrix, as well as you know, obviously um, uh, other drawings on things like that. Obviously, Cthulhu is probably a really big one, but um, yeah. So I think, uh, as even as a person with almost no familiarity with Mass Effect, I have seen uh, direct comparisons drawn online on you know listen to uh, heard it on nerd podcasts that kind of a thing if you listen to those sorts of things and um that's actually a great point that that um insectoid slash tentacled form factor of those machines really fits that eldritch horror feel that you get if you know by realizing oh you live in a dream world that's very cthulhu very lovecraftian sort of philosophies going on right and then to yeah. see the organic machines it's all you could almost it feels like you could draw a direct design lineage from hr is it giger i think it's giger um uh, geiger, i've heard it pronounced geiger but i i'm not uh. german so i um <laughs> <laughs> you could almost draw that direct design lineage down right the organic machine the pulsating metal the the coiled steel sort of a thing that warm machine that you know runs on on organic matter um there's goo in this movie there's goo in the matrix right like it's 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 that <laughs> melding of organic and machine that really provides that body horror slash substrate slash you know, two parts of a whole. I mean, as you said before, Paul, there are so many levels in this freaking movie. <laughs> like, uh, papers will be written, and papers were written about the original Matrix trilogy. You know, so I'm, I'm sure yeah. there will be there will be no shortage of analysis for this movie. Oh uh, yeah, I mean, I, I remember listening to all four of the commentary tracks that were available for the original matrix um when that came out like and i think two of them were like uh theologists and uh like you know physicists and so on 
discussing the different things that came up from that film uh, and how it changed their field, how some of the things that are in there like uh, were drawing off of that stuff and really going into all, all of those different things. So, yeah, I, I do think that there will be options for that with this one. Um, you know, as well as, I mean, if, if they're really going to lean into it, like they could even have a Deadpool commentary track for the first 30 minutes of this film because it would be very fitting. Good, <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, it, they're effectively doing all of the um, the Jay and Silent Bob strike backs look directly to camera, like for the for the entire opening act of this film, because <laughs> um, yeah, it, it was very much uh, like. Hi, thanks for watching. Anyway, back to the film. Uh, yeah, for, and it's for me. It's one of the first instances I think where I've watched a movie partway through it, gone, "Oh, I don't think this movie is aimed at me," and then <laughs> gone, "I'm fine with that." Like now that I understand that, I'm going to watch the rest of it anyway and see what I can get out of it because it, 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 the first movie wasn't necessarily aimed at me either, right? It was aimed at a wide as as wide a possible audience so that they could get the movie made. And that's fair. Yeah. This, I think, is almost pure auteurism. Like, this is Lana's movie for Lana. And and as a person who creates a thing, I'm not saying that I'm a, a Hollywood movie maker, but as a person <laughs> who creates a thing, art will, at its base, always be partially and most probably primarily for the artist. And I think most artists would agree with that. It's, it's an act of creation for ourselves so for lana to go i'm gonna make my matrix how i want it and i will tell people that that's why it is the way that it is i think is admirable and i've seen it referred to as id gaff filmmaking at its finest <laughs> yeah that's uh that's fairly accurate yeah and uh yeah i i've always said whenever anyone else like when it comes to this podcast Absolutely. The reason that I make this podcast is that I enjoy making it and I enjoy having these conversations with people. And as soon as I no longer enjoy that conversation, this podcast will draw to a close. However, you know, the fact that people are listening and engaging and so on, like it, it's awesome. And uh, yes, thank you everyone out there that is doing so. Uh, but, uh, um, but yeah, th this film very much feels like Lana was just going like, okay, I'm diving back in with this one and it's like, and then I'm done. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, this, and especially like thinking back on it now, like understanding where she was coming from with this film, like why she jumped in, why she made it. Like I can definitely see a lot of the opening of this and a lot of the ending of this being like trying to get over the grief of losing someone and bringing back someone from the past, but then working to move on. And and I feel that that is where they, they landed at the end. I, I think they did a good job with that, and I'm intrigued to see what happens next. I can... I personally would get behind, say, a TV show or yep. uh, or even an anime series i mean the animatrix was yes phenomenal more of that please but uh um yeah like, i i think that 
at this point, and obviously people would have said this before with the previous one, but uh, like at this point, I consider the film franchise to be done. Like I, I do not think it will be possible to make another one. Um, yeah, especially not with the original team involved. And if the original team is not involved, I don't think it will. I don't think Keanu Reeves will do it, to be perfectly frank, if the Wachowskis are not connected. Um, so I, I feel like he would just be like, thanks, but no thanks. And without him and without Neo in it, I don't think it will have the draw. Depends on who gets attached, I guess. It's also possible that in 20 years, Warner Brothers will say, all right, we're doing it with or without you anyway, man. So uh, yeah. what do you want? You know, and and it's, it wouldn't surprise me, but I, I hope that they get somebody who at least understands you know, what made it cool. I want, I want to be asked a big question, and I want to see something I've never seen before, visually, <laughs> personally. Yeah, like the, the only uh, like new Matrix that I would be willing to accept is one from the point of view of the machines. Like an okay. entirely different take on it, an entirely different viewpoint. And like just it would be a way of furthering the world without necessarily changing anything. Um and just giving you more of that more of an understanding overall of what's going on. But I don't I don't see that happening. But is hoping that uh, down the line, if they do go that route, that uh, that that's the way they go. Because um, I mean, I mean, like at this point, this film made fun of the idea of anyone coming in and saying we're going to make a sequel to the Matrix. Yeah. So, and did you see the um, the end credit scene for this one? I did. I okay. if I have a full on complaint for the movie it would be that but it would be that yeah i and i also get it yeah <laughs> and yeah for, for people that haven't haven't seen it uh it, it is a jump back to the brainstorming session for you know what the next matrix will be and based on everything i've i've read um and based on my interpretation of it this is lana wachowski's final middle finger um <laughs> to the concept of another sequel yep. um because yeah it's just the idea of cat video matrix the cat tricks like it's like okay like you're just fucking around at this point <laughs> well and she's like, not far off the mark like yes that's pr i mean that's not we this scene is literally in this movie so that makes it a possibility like that's yeah. Yeah, I, I I appreciated the commentary, but still the scene was like I I personally didn't need that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and obviously that that's another thing. Like I can understand why it is a an end credit sting. Like yeah, uh, anyone that liked the film and left, they didn't miss out uh, on that. Like yeah, I I knew there was an end credit sting, so I skipped the credits and just went straight to it. So I didn't sit around waiting for it. Um, so I didn't feel like I had sat for nothing. Um, yeah. So I so I was okay with it. Um, and yeah, I I genuinely saw it as like I think Lana just woke up one day and was like, okay, yeah, that's going. <laughs> We're filming this tomorrow. <laughs> um, it's going at the end of the film. 
and uh, uh, you know, chances are the executives aren't going to see this bit, so <laughs> we'll be fine. Like, um, yeah, I appreciated it for what it was, and I'm glad it wasn't in the film proper, um, as it were. I think that would have been just a, a bit much if it were in there. But, uh, but yeah, um, uh, I, I will say at, at the end of all this, like, uh, again, I could see where people are coming from when they are having some issues with it. I do know some people um, really struggled with the tone shift. Uh, and some people had issues with like how they brought the character back or, or what they then had the characters do. Um, but I personally really enjoyed it just from a like number one nostalgia. It's more it was more Matrix and it had Neo and it had Trinity in it. And whenever they were on screen, it was good. <laughs> like you know, um, I. I enjoyed seeing what Lana's take on this was, and I am a huge fan of Meta done right, and I feel this film did it right. Um, yeah, that if they had ha- at any point had a character turn to camera and wink, that would have been too much. <laughs> but they did stop just short of that. Yeah, they were just shy of it and uh, did it very well. Um, so, and then. Uh, after the first half hour they effectively not completely but effectively just cut that off and then moved on with the story so like it it stayed around for about the right amount of time and then they moved on and then had one or two little bits here and there but otherwise we're good and i really enjoyed this i i'm i'm glad that they went away with it that i i wasn't expecting um as i did mention as we were talking, yeah, there were several things I was like, oh, would have been nice to see this. Um, but um, given why it was made, um, how Lana was able to take it and make it her own, like I, uh, I, I fully accept it for what it is. And I, I feel that it's going to be a film that I would argue this film probably sits um, at second best overall in my view, when it comes to the rankings of the film, like just above Reloaded in, in my, like not much above it, but just above it. Um, so yeah, for, for anyone that wants my particular rankings on the Matrix trilogy now, it, well, Matrix quadrilogy, uh, so it would be the Matrix, the Matrix Resurrections, Reloaded, Revolutions. Um, so that that's how I would rank it. And um, obviously that means I, I would recommend this film to anyone that hasn't seen it and has been listening this far i mean well done um if <laughs> especially if you don't want to watch it <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean like well done you if you decided to just listen to us talk about it rather than watch the film uh but uh but yeah so that that my my take on it uh how about you i personally i can't i can't i can't paul i'm sorry <laughs> i it's it's the matrix and then it's the matrix reloaded because The Matrix Reloaded showed me a hundred Agent Smiths fighting Neo. It showed me Neo flying mm-hmm. in a convincing enough way. It had that showdown in the chateau. It had the crash on the semi-trucks. It had the highway chase. There is so much fun in The Matrix Reloaded. And I really, I go based on how much fun I had. Um, even oh, nice. for my cerebral yeah. movies, I think. So I, I have to go The Matrix, <laughs> Matrix Reloaded. Then I would definitely go Resurrections, and then I would go Revolutions. But I also think that 
Reloaded and Revolutions is just one long movie, so you have to kind of rank them together. I would still put this, yeah. I would still watch this as part of a rewatch of the series. I, I wouldn't go, eh, I'm going to skip that. Um, but <laughs> I, um, you know, if somebody was like, I only have the first three, do you want to watch them? I'd be like, sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's the thing, like, again, this film is very standalone um in what it does and i fully appreciate that and uh, and i i should feel that i should make clear like there are many things from reloaded that uh i was completely on board for um uh specifically the one thing that i was incredibly annoyed they didn't bring back was the virus twins because they weren't <laughs> dead um They're as, ghosts. As they can't be killed thing. by fire yeah i mean like they they went intangible uh, as that explosion went off, so they're clearly alive. They just never brought them back. Um, uh, but yes, I uh, I was annoyed they didn't come back. But um, but yeah, I I feel that um, as a if you're just looking at it as a standalone film, I feel this film was better than Reloaded. However, Reloaded was more fun. I I will agree with you there. <laughs> so um, so yeah, I. Uh, th- that's why I was saying this film is just above it um, uh, as, as a standalone like film. Um, but yeah, uh, I, I think we should probably leave it there, even though there's definitely more we could talk about. Uh, I, I think uh, I covered sort of the main things I wanted to touch on, including one or two things that I haven't heard too much about myself. So, uh, so yes. Um, uh, but... Uh, but yes, uh, thank you very much for coming on and talking with this about me. Great to have you on. Um, uh, see, so yeah, why, why don't you tell people um, where they can find you and the sort of things that you'll be doing roughly about the time this thing comes out. Absolutely. Thank you. First of all, I have to say thank you, Paul, for having me. I, I have had a lot of fun talking about The Matrix Resurrections with you, and I'm sure that we'll be able to find something else that we have common ground on in the future to talk about. Oh, I, of course, as Paul has mentioned, am the host of a podcast called Sudden But Inevitable. If you don't recognize that phrasing, it comes from a little TV show called Firefly, which is, of course, maybe the most famous space western ever. Um, the impetus for my show is that I had a friend who was watching The Mandalorian with me, and he was going, isn't this cool? And I went, yeah, but it's pretty much Firefly with a new coat of paint on it. And he went, well, I've never seen Firefly. So I started a podcast, made him watch Firefly, and then subsequently the movie Serenity. And when that was over, I thought, okay, I've got him into space westerns. What else can I get him into? Ooh, anime. So I made him watch the original Cowboy Bebop, and now he's a fan of that. After that, we started to cover some other sci-fi movies until we get to our third season, which will be starting basically the same time this episode comes out in which we will be covering the live-action Cowboy Bebop. Very divisive, very divisive series. It has already been canceled. That is why we figured it would be perfect for us to cover. We do single-season Space Western shows kind of, you know, by design. So we're covering Cowboy Bebop now, and we would love it if you would check out Sudden But Inevitable on your favorite podcast player. If you want... You can get a hold of me directly on Twitter at SuddenButt, that's one T. You can find me on Instagram at SuddenButInevitablePodcast, or you can send me an email at jbaileypod at gmail.com. I think the easiest way to find me, though, is to just Google Sudden But Inevitable 
we will pop up and if you like Firefly or Cowboy Bebop or Highlander or Space Sweepers or Slither or Donnie Darko, these are some of the properties that we cover. We're a sci-fi rewatch podcast. Come check us out. Once again, thank you so much. I, I just, I, I've, I've had a, a lot of fun, Paul, and <laughs> this is not kind of how I thought my Thursday night would go. So I'm, I'm very grateful for having been able to spend some time with you. Thank you. Oh, no problem at all. And definitely I'm going to have to have you back and uh, I'll have to squeeze myself onto one of your uh, podcast episodes at some point in the future. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, yes. Um, uh, once again, just uh, to rehash as well. So if you want to get a hold of me about anything from any of these episodes, just search Blockbusters, you'll find it. Make sure that you tick that box that says, no, I didn't mean Blockbusters, I meant Blockbusters. Uh, yeah, we're on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Twitter, I will admit, I'm most active on um, Instagram and Facebook less so. Um, you can uh, email us, theblockbusters.com. You can go to blockbusters.com. You can go to allportsopen.com. Like, check out all the things that I just mentioned and more. Um, yeah, we do have a Patreon if anyone does wish to help out at all even just a dollar a month will help keep the lights on it would be very much appreciated um and if uh, if more people do decide to jump on maybe i'll shove more stuff on there <laughs> but as of right now it is a very bare bone thing i fully admit uh, but uh, you know here's hoping <laughs> uh but yes one last time Thank you very much for coming on. Really appreciate it. Uh, hopefully we'll have you again soon. But uh, uh, until then, with all of that being said, I've been Paul. And I have been Jesse from Sudden But Inevitable. <laughs> and we'll see you next time. Bye. In case I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. Hang on a minute, lads. I've got a great idea. Uh, Louis? I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go.